AI can be very helpful for games to make the individual experience of your game and gameplay even more individual. So the game reacts to you as a player, whatever that means, right? But also in being these these characters being companions. So right now, you know, why I see also video games being the logical uh, progression from normal entertainment forms is because if you watch a movie, then you watch a created box. So it's a beginning, a middle and an end, which has been created for you, you're an observer. With games, you can ha have the same story, but you create a story. It's your emotions and decisions that change the story and make it, create a different outcome. So every emotion, every experience can be different. So with AI, having these creations then also talk to you, I think even what we're experiencing right now with our uh, society getting older and older and people are being more lonely, I think if we can create an environment where you have a companion on the screen, where we can support mental health problems that just come through loneliness, then that's a big leap forward, which I want to explore. In part two, we take a deep dive into Jan's journey to social impact gaming. He discusses examples of his early successes with animal rights organization PETA, the power of game-based storytelling to educate people on social issues, the philanthropic value of gaming to NGOs, the benefits open to brands and the market potential. Jan also discusses the business model, the evolution of the sector and the impact AI will have on gaming. He also reflects on stoicism, managing fear, failure, exercise, curiosity and serendipity. I hope you're inspired by the integrity, the playful passion and social impact focus of Jan Rosner. The transition from an agency in, in Berlin, opening offices in New York, and then transitioning and pivoting, if it was a pivot, to a social impact gaming company is quite a leap mm. in, for many people. There, it's not an, a natural progression. So can you talk us through the reasons and the pathway to that and the factors that led you to where you are today? Yeah, the, the foundation of the co company in Berlin was actually done with my former wife together. So we formed that company together. And then there was this serendipitous moment where one of her contacts invited her to expand to the US as well. And we took that leap as I just went out or came out of the military. We had an apartment in Berlin, no kids, no, no, nothing that held us back. So we, we took that leap and we just said, okay, let's try it. I mean, that's the opportunity in life. You know, how often do you get that? And let's expand the business. Let me focus on that and built the company over there and that's that's what we did and we expanded the service range from only i mean but social media marketing and digital marketing to more inbound marketing mm -hmm. and content and uh, branding what was her background so she was a salesperson organizer project manager and really really good in selling things selling concepts and creating concepts and convincing people to make yeah make an investment or make create a partnership and really selling them on that so a good business partner, but but, yeah. but obviously not wife. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, not, nothing lasts forever. And uh, we had our reasons. And uh, I think everybody's now happier. We spent 15 years together. Wow. Okay. Can you then explain to us this, this journey to social impact gaming? Yeah. So... The His agency was called um, Sang Sagency. Sage, Sage Agency. Mm -hmm. Sage Agency. And now Sage Agency. Sage, yeah, <laughs> very yeah. good. But now you have a business called One Earth Rising. Yes. So in between there was Arcade Distillery. And between those, or the, how that happened was, I played video games my whole life. And, you know, I'm not like 
a hardcore gamer, but I love the storytelling mode. I grew up also with comic books, so you know, big comic book nerd. And with that, like this combination, I always wanted to use these different DC, Marvel, Mar- more Marvel, but you know, both Image. I own almost all Spawn comics here. Wow. That's amazing. Love this. Um, Todd McFarlane. Hey, shout out, <laughs> great guy. We then created that, or nar- oh, wanted to create this narrative-driven campaign where I thought, like, let's use video games as a tool and create video games that, you know, for for the lack of a better term, create marketing games that don't suck. Mm -hmm. So something you want to play, something that is engaging, retains customer rather than just like one-off and then you throw it out. And so um, we shopped that concept around. I was introduced to my now still business partner, Luke Bernard, through a mutual friend. And so that was the first time that I actually got in touch with a proper game developer. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, it's all very well coming up with game concepts, but you won't be taken seriously without having domain experience in that exactly. area. Exactly. So it was really great to meet him. Yeah, great story around that too, for another time maybe. But so meeting him there, we had a full night really just like nerding out on different concepts, how to use video games and so forth. So we would meet on a regular basis in different places and just chat and just chat. And uh, would, he would kind of like pick his brain and some, some different things. And then we had a couple of concepts that we wanted to shop around. And we did the first thing that we wanted to do. There was a movie, which unfortunately I forgot the, the director's name, which highlighted the problems, a documentary about the tomato pickers in California. So we wanted to build like a farming game, which actually has some impact to raise awareness for these topics and just also use video games for brand purposes, right? We had a conversation with the CEO of Pizza Hut. All these different things led to nowhere. The first organization that we actually found that wanted to work with us because they had experience in games was the animal rights organization PETA. And so with them, we started the process and built their first ever PlayStation game called Kitten Squad. Hmm. Luke was still an independent developer. Yeah. So yeah, we started that process just like, hey, should we do that? And let's try it. Let's Hmm. see what it is. And he was, he still is brilliant in this, like taking, taking that approach, taking the the concept, the goal, what do you want to do? And just like, you know, taking that apart and finding the best way to make it appealing for players. So what was that game, Kitten Squad? What was it setting out to do for um, animal welfare and animal rights? So the, the, the goal of that game was really to raise awareness for the different campaigns that PETA was doing offline um, at the time and still are. So, you know, the, the levels in the game Kitten Squad, so you're playing a little kitten with a gun, of course. That's, you know, that's what mm-hmm. everybody wants. Uh, guns are yarn ball guns or lasers or you have a carrot launcher and things like that. You venture out, you kill robots that are representing, that represent torturing methods of animals and every level that you engage in is connected to an offline campaign of PETA. So rescuing Olivia the Oka from SeaWorld or going out and rescuing Michael the Sheep from the evil sheep puncher in the wool world. So before you engage in either level, you see a drawn version, kind of like mellow down version of PETA's very gruesome 60 second um, clips that just explains what happened. So Olivia was taken away from her mother, was put into a tank, artificially impregnated. So it's very hard stuff. And then it turns into fun. So that really resonated with a lot of people that have ne- had never heard or they were very opinionated about PETA. And what made it really for PETA was that we had, well, we had 2.2 million downloads in the first year without any additional Amazing. marketing. 
6.8 on PlayStation. on PlayStation, then also later on Nintendo Switch and iOS and Android. We had 6.8 million views, shares on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And what really made it for Peter was that there were people in Russia, for example. This guy in Russia would live stream the, the game, talk about the game, talk about Peter, talk about the causes. On on, well, Twitch wasn't there then. It was still YouTube, but he would have like 200,000 views. Well, Twitch might have been there, but it wasn't that big. So 200,000 views in a country that where Peter has little to no standing. Same happened in Saudi Arabia. Same happened in Iraq. So it was really people would pick up the game and talk about it and about the organization where nobody had ever heard of them. That's incredible. So just for people that maybe haven't played games or hadn't thought about games as a vehicle for building awareness around social issues like animal cruelty. You've explained well how the organization gets the message across by embedding these stories inside the game mm-hmm. in a way that engages the, the player. How do you control the the reach and the the, t- the target? Because clearly PETA must have a demographic in mind. Yeah. The reach, I mean, the demographic, the target audience, you can only control by knowing what audience plays what kind of games. So if you if you build a Teletubby game, they will probably not be played by 25 to 30-year-olds. Mm-hmm. But this particular kind of game, although looking at it very objectively, looks very much made for kids, was played mainly, mainly by 20 to 25-year-olds. So it's a good age and demographic to you know talk to. And yeah, I want to say like 30 to 39% were women. Anyone, and anyone that, of that group, probably sort of kitten geeks. And kitten geeks, exactly. Into memes and stuff. Absolutely. So you've got a, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, the goal was not to convert, you know, already PETA people to do more. It was rather to raise awareness for the organization. I mean, everybody who's a little bit familiar with uh, PETA knows that when you meet someone of their you know, kind, many people just turn around and run away because yeah. they're very well known for their very, very malicious ways or you know, very extreme act uh, of showing how animal cruelty affects yeah, our lives I mean, and vice versa. Politely called, say, quite ardent yeah. in, their, in their views. But how do you measure impact then? That's a good question. I mean, the, the you know when we started that process, for us, the only way to measure impact is really to see and depend on our partner to say, hey, through this campaign, we got more eyeballs. Through this campaign, we got more signups on our newsletter. And that you know ended up in being more money in our pocket, right? Mm. So that was... It's not really the impact that we could measure in regards, hey, there's 50% increase or decrease yeah. mm-hmm. in animal abuse, for example. That would that would have been the best impact, right? Mm-hmm. That I can't tell and I can't say, but it's really about all it's how much impact. It's very hard to draw a correlation between someone yeah. watching a game and then being able to... There's so many other sort of yes. causal factors related to that. But Maybe yeah. we get there someday, hopefully. So that was your that was your initial foray into social impact gaming where can you tell us where you are now and what your vision is going forward so after after we did kitten squad there was it opened my eyes for the world of gaming right i was as i said i, I played my game my fair share of games but i was not aware of that impactful environment meaning the sheer amount of people how many billions of people play video games at the same time also how much money this industry makes and uh, i mean there's some stats off the top of your head. We can sure, show notes. sure. I mean, in 2018, the music industry made $19 billion around the globe. And at the same time, the movie industry made around $43 billion. The 
video game industry at the same year, 2018, made $137 billion, which dwarfs all the other entertainment industries together. And so that is amazing. Every time we talk about games, people's reaction is normally very fast, like, oh, you know, your kids playing video games. Here in the U.S., it's about like 155 million people play video games and the average oh, just age sit in is the subway any, Or the yeah. underground in London or the metro in Paris and look down and there are games being played in front of you. Everywhere. And uh, people underestimate the power of and sometimes even forget that they play a game. And, you know, gamification, adding that even on there, mm-hmm. even your miles and more or whatever, you know, airline you use that you're having there, all the rewards points that you're chasing, that's a gamification. And so that, that is a lot which, you know, talks about you, us human beings wanting that in our life and really driving engagement. So from there, when we did the Kitten Squad game, I wanted to be in that world. So that's what led to the foundation of Arcade Distillery as a gaming company. Company. And we actually tried to copy and mimic that same thing what we did with PETA with other organizations, just realizing that PETA was a little bit of a unicorn in that matter that they knew what games can do and they were willing to pay for it. And then the, the other organization, very, I mean, for good reasons, they were looking at us like, well, we build wells or we do this and that and why should we do a game and how could we even justify that in front of our donors so that led to nowhere and then we decided just to start building our own games just doing that our own you know luke's creations and that worked very well so we started with smaller games that all became profitable within like three four months and we journeyed out on that so now to answer your question the journey basically the circle closed where with one earth rising we came back to that idea of social impact and we founded a company the first company the social impact gaming company so we trademarked that term so that's why i can say that um we're the first ones really focusing entirely on of social impact games that have every game is attached to a social impact cause and with that also to nonprofits that we support with that. Okay. Give an example. So the first game that we launched is called Paraiso Island, Paraiso Island, and that is an island simulator currently available on PlayStation in early access. And that island simulator, very close to other games like you know The Sims or Animal Crossing, if people know that. So here you're you're on an island, tropical island cute little animal characters you interact with other animal characters you're building the whole economy and community and you have different things you can do cook you can you can fish you build things you interior design your little houses and so the world grows around you and that's also a very that's the same you know direction we took with kitten squad it's always a fun game first it needs to be fun so even if you're not interested in any cause you just want to play the game because it's a good game That needs to be the driver. And with that, because we want to be a mass product, right? We want to affect and influence as many people as possible. So we also not lead with education first. We'll just give that game and give people the chance to check it out and have fun with it and stick with it because it's a good game. So in our first approach here with Paraiso Island, we are supporting nonprofit organizations that are engaging in the rebuilding process in the Caribbean or also elsewhere. So our uh, first partner here is All Hands and Hearts, and they are still working in Houston, for example. We just did a little Facebook Live event with them in Houston, still working and closing and and cleaning up after Harvey, Hurricane Harvey. Harvey. It's crazy. 
It is crazy. It's still going on every day they go out there. And uh, at the same time, also helping being the, the first that came in. And they're still there in the Caribbean after the hurricanes and, you know, Bahamas and so forth. So with our up to 30% of our net revenue goes to them to support their activities, right? In the beginning now, we just launched a game. It's not really a lot, but this will pick up and become more. And people can actively play the game and become part of that rebuilding process. You should have a conversation with one of our ex-guests, Hunter Johansson. I would love because to talk Hun- to him. Hunter solar screen. Solar, solar responders in uh, Puerto Rico. Uh, his uh, twin sister is a famous actress called Scarlett. I have heard of her. And they are building first responder solar panels on the roofs to ensure mm. that the first responders don't go down. Oh, amazing. So I'm this sure, is incredible. I'm yes. sure there would be a, a nice little building opportunity there inside games and connect with them, have a chat. Yes, put absolutely. Your heads together. It is interesting because so this whole direction of social impact gaming leads now also for brand to brands that want to become a part of that too. Mm. And so that's where we, I mean, obviously very selectively and always with the player in mind. So never, never, you will never see advertising or anything like that. But if it's a good brand or if it's a good company that does good in the world and that supports the same kind of like, you know, mission that we stand for or the same direction that this game stands for, then we are happy to also include them into the gameplay and make them make players aware of that brand or that company that they exist and what they do. Well, it's just another extension of where branded content is going. Absolutely. Um, in a seamless, natural, integrated way, you could have anything from Unilever and Procter & Gamble brands appearing uh, to brands with mission that are mission driven like Virgin or even Casper mattresses. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. And tying that in and driving the narrative. I mean, many of those brands, they have a quality product that they're putting out. Obviously, that's a selling point. However, the the parts that they doing good in the world. It's sometimes they don't have the time or the means to communicate that. In our games, the players on average spend 90 minutes in our games, 9-0. So that's wow. a, quite a lot of time spent with you know the whole environment there. And that gives us the opportunity to actually communicate some of these missions to them, let them explore it themselves. So I think that's the, where this power uh, comes from. And we hope that we can build this. Talk to us about the business model. Yeah, so the business model is um, the focus. Our mission is to harness the power of philanthropy through interactive experiences. And that means that we want to use in this first step here, video games as a tool for communication, as an amplifier, and a supporting tool. So the the doing good part, that's actually on behalf of our nonprofit partners. So we are not changing the world. We are the amplifier for what others are doing. And we can get you into millions of households across the world and talk about it. And hopefully through that also as a second tier revenue creator, you know, get you more funding through donations. Because we've seen that the concept of how nonprofits raise funds is broken from our perspective. Also, how they need to use the funds. You know, from a business perspective, you're not able to build a business by only getting funds for a project or by being limited. And you have to go out every year, every day, to raise more. I mean, how many times do we 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 walk past the charity muggers on the on the streets, and yeah. main street and high streets of yeah. the every country you walk around, and having had direct experience inside NGOs, the traditional means of raising money are are traditional. Yeah, they're, they're lacking innovation and imagination. Yeah, and I think it's uh, it's brilliant that you're leading the way in terms of expanding 
NGOs understanding of the digital capabilities that are out there that they can leverage and harness. It's interesting that you bring this up because it's a you know, it's a two-way street, right? It's not only the consumer, the donor that mm. needs to be educated or that there's a different way. There's also the non-profits. Oh, yeah, totally. And there is, I mean, if you take a look at that, of course, we have Facebook now, we have all these social media outlets and so forth, but there's not really... The system of how they raise has not changed, just the channels have changed. So what we want to create with those games is A, for the user, create a playful path to social impact and for the the organizations to create a sustainable source of revenue for the nonprofit through games. So that's really where this change is or where this impact comes from. However, that's only a part of it. And right now, that's the main part of that first game. But little by little, we'll integrate more educational elements also about, in this case, climate change, you know, mm-hmm. disaster relief for this first game. And later on, ocean pollution. You want to do go to Nigeria and uh, Africa in general and build an African culture game. So, you know, educating people also in the West about African folklore, things like that. Uh, it's very exciting. I mean, we could go on at length about this because it, it, it has a huge, this huge opportunity for the NGO sector and for brands to work together and collaborate and bring bring those two sides of the industry together. If people do want to learn more about you, where do they find out about One Earth Rising, either in social media and on the web? Yeah, so I'll reach out to you. Yeah, um, I'll put all this in the show notes. Obviously, wonderful. So, watersrising.com is our website. So there is a contact form. You can contact us directly through that. Uh, there's different contact forms for whatever you want to do. If you're a brand, if you're donor, if you're an investor, if whatever it is that you're looking for. Um, then paraisoisland.com, paraiso or paraiso island.com is the game site currently where you can learn more about that specific game and then you know we're just getting started the company's not very very old we're just getting started on the social media front so the same names you will find also on instagram and uh, facebook and so forth and then um, also myself i'm if i'm easily to get in touch with through linkedin linkedin jan rosner j-a-n-r-o-e-s-s-n-e-r and so and jan at one is rising.com cool okay put that in the show notes just before we finish on that, just to finish off on the business model. So I can see how brands can leverage it. I can see how NGOs can benefit from it. Where do you make money from it? Well, through the same way. So what we decided, we want to become, you know, I, I know that goal is very high here. We want to become the Patagonia of the video game industry. So it's meaning, a great vision. Yeah, well, you have to start somewhere, right? That's a, that's a good goal, I think. And what we are doing is that we create these games as a free in a free-to-play model, most of them, and we're giving them out for free to play whatever whoever wants to. So there's no payment included there. However, there is a in-game purchase option. You can extend the game. You can buy different add-ons and customizations for your characters. So through that, we make money. And from that money, we give a, sh- a share to the nonprofit. So we'll keep the major share still. So that's how we make money. And we also like use those funds to create more games, of course. And at the same time, it allows us to very fast react to situations, which we did, for example, for the Bahamas rebuilding project. We just dropped a, or created a Bahamas raccoon for the game, which has a couple of different cool little things that uh, you can do in the game with him, her, sorry. And uh, you buy her, and 100% goes to the Bahamas rebuilding project project of all hands and hearts. So things like that allow us to really react to things. Mm-hmm. And through the normal in-game purchases, that's how we make money. That's brilliant. I want to talk about you. How do you deal with fear and fear of failure? You're a founder, you're a startup, you're raising money. 
it's a time of huge ambiguity, uncertainty and risk. Yeah, that is a good question. I've talked about this a couple of times just recently. And what it is, I do not. So I, I practice a very stoic mindset. Uh, it's maybe a little bit uh, counterintuitive if you meet me. So, you know, I don't show this typical stoic uh, characteristics. I don't know. Yeah, well, I'm a, you know I'm very get a sense of that. open, open person, but I'm very calm also, and I'm I'm looking at the the long term vision of this, and I really just hopefully my mom is not listening. So even if I would end up under the bridge at one point for a month or so, I know there will be a way out of this. There uh -huh. will be the next phase, and that's only a small fraction of the whole journey. That's how I keep myself sane and really also not, you know, stress out too much. Of course, there's always stress. There's, mm. you know, payments to be made and things to be handled. That is stress. But, you know, I try to keep the alcohol minimum, uh, alcohol at a minimum. <laughs> and I, the Apart from your famous aperitivo nights. Yeah, that's very yeah. true. Every Wednesday, then I have to just indulge a little bit, hopefully still only wine or a little bit of a whiskey. But uh, the exercise is a very big part of my life. Mm -hmm. So that needs to be there. I just realized that last week where it was very busy during the fashion week period, the week before, and I couldn't get my workout in. And it just really messed it me up. It does have an impact, doesn't oh, it? Oh, my goodness. So that that keeps me sane looking at um, the long-term vision and growing into this there's this will work this there's just there's no other option right great um, maybe this is actually just building on that but as an entrepreneur you must have to have a sturdy heart and nerve how do you convince investors to invest in something that is so new and unproven I think the, the the one skill set that I bring to the table, which, you know, obviously coming from the military and not having a lot of business experience, is that I get very passionate. I follow my heart where I, I'm not the type of founder that just goes for it for the money. Of course, money is a big important part of this whole thing too. But I, I am very passionate about what I do. And I think... I'm able to convey that very directly to investors, but also to my team. So I'm very proud and grateful. I have an amazing team that surrounds me here working with me. And I believe that I was able to convey the, the big scheme, the big idea to them. And they believe that I really believe in that. So that's the kind of like going back to the military, how I can you know motivate. I never led or um, commanded by rank. I always by by example and really get my people behind me because they believe in what what I do and believe in me. Okay, that's a good answer. What role can the game and the games that you're building play in communicating and changing behavior around the global goals? I strongly believe, I mean, the goal for this first game now is to get to 3 million downloads by the end of this year. So that's a good amount of people already. So growing that that platform, growing the amount of games, and as a side note, I mean, we are a developer currently, but also a publisher. So the goal is also to find others and lead by example. The reason why we trademarked Social Impact Gaming is not to just have the trademark on it, but also to lead as a thought leader in that field and find others that want to follow our lead. So with that, then really make creating more games like that, creating different systems, how we can support social impact goals and uh, SDGs of the UN and so forth. So I think um, just creating a bigger footprint will help to get more people on board, but also create it uh, from a video game perspective, create it in a way that you're not teaching. You, you, you include education. That always happened with me. Even if you watch 
Bambi. So you you feel so devastated when her mother dies, mm -hmm. and that's not that just makes you not to want to be a hunter. So these little things, or if you watch Avatar, so that's not a it's not a science fiction crash bang and action movie. It's actually a very hippie hug the trees and save indigenous people movie. So mm -hmm. it's a very amazing thing that was created that really touches people and changes people's emotion. And if you touch them and touch them emotionally, that's my belief. That's how you change mindsets. No, totally. Touched on this so many times in the podcast. Also, just finally, the world is in constant flux and motion and AI is around touching every part of business and life. How will AI machine learning affect what you're building? So we have had multiple conversations around that. And from my perspective, and I have to dive deeper into the topic, of mm -hmm. course, but I think games can be, or AI can be very helpful for games to make the individual experience of your game and gameplay even more individual. So the game reacts to you as a player, whatever that means, right? But also in being these these characters being companions. So right now, you know, I, I see also video games being the logical uh, progression from normal entertainment forms is because if you watch a movie, then you watch a created box. So it's a beginning, a middle, and an end, which has been created for you. You're an observer. With games, you can ha have the same story, but you create the story. It's your emotions and decisions that change the story and make create a different outcome. So every emotion and every experience can be different. So with AI, having these creations then also talk to you, I think even what we're experiencing right now with our uh, society getting older and older and people are being more lonely, I think if we can create an environment where you have a companion on the screen, where we can support mental health problems that just come through loneliness, then that's a big leap forward, which I want to explore. Okay. Serendipity. What chance encounters or happy accidents, some people say, um, or serendipitous events have uh, occurred that have defined the direction yeah, I, I definitely touched on a couple of them you already. Did, yeah. I mean, in regards to, you know, me growing up in this environment, going into the military, that's definitely one big part. But I think more important, what really changed my life when where I was 10 years ago and where I am right now is the whole move to the US, the move to, you know, meeting this person that wants us to be over there and building that, build, these building blocks, right? On the path there, I, I strongly believe that a lot of your so, quote unquote luck is self-made so you you there's two people sitting next to bill gates and not realizing it and then the one starts a conversation the other doesn't so that's really where you know you're being open to others and open to communication open to ideas and so forth that really leads a lot of the quote-unquote luck part however the meeting my business partner luke for example that was also a serendipitous moment and i don't know where i would be now without, without him, him yeah. but nobody can say but i think that's a very important stepping stone there too yeah. no we totally agree with you it's, we say it's engineered and it's not luck but so that's that's great what about curiosity what role does that play and, and how has it contributed to the work that you do? I think that's one of the most Im impactful and most important character traits or so. Being curious about life, about other people, 
about this planet, about whatever we do, I think is incredibly valuable. I would not be where I am and who I am if I wouldn't have been so curious. Every conversation, and that's one recommendation I can only give anyone that listens to this, is you know, never judge a book by its cover. Always go and start a conversation. Obviously, you know, you have to do a little bit of a trade-off. How much time do you have? The day only has 24 hours the last time I checked. But there is valuable. There's so much value in that. And honoring the experience that other people made and had in their lives and just take pieces of that and learn from that. That is just, it's amazing for me. Okay. What setbacks? I talk about setbacks. The quote that we always reference is, it's not the circumstances that define you, it's your response. What response to a set of circumstances has been pivotal in your life? I mean, definitely these, these experiences that I made in the, in the military, and you know, I keep referring back to that, but it was a big time of my life that you, you make mistakes and they will happen. I mean, just the understanding and acknowledging that mistakes will happen. There's nothing you can do to prevent all mistakes. It's kind of like a problem that we have sometimes in Germany where we are like over planning and over planning for plan B, C, D, E, F and so forth. What happens if we don't know? We don't know. We just have to go somewhere sometimes in it and react to it. The main thing I said it before is you don't do the same mistake twice. Mm -hmm. So you learn from it. So, I mean, we... We made mistakes. I mean, I came out of the military not knowing anything about business, specifically like how something, some things make money. And because money was never a question in the military. And um, that was something I had to learn through mistakes and really, you know, get that in. Mentors help a guide that can guide you through the way in different ways of your life. So several mentors I would always recommend and different for the part of your life that you want to get mentorship for. And um, I think, you know, on our side, wrong partnership decisions, not personally, but more in the decision-making process of a business. Of course, I mean, there's personal mistakes you make also. There's the recommendation what I took out of that is always get to the point only where this partnership can't hurt you. If you need to get one step further, that's where you need to do your own personal due diligence much deeper to save time and money, right? Also in the beginning, but on a personal and on a business level, that's a big learning that I would definitely apply for the next, hopefully, 50 years. Okay. <laughs> Quick five questions. What principles do you stand by? Yeah. So, you know, as mentioned before, the stoic mindset, definitely hard work, honor, um, and integrity. Mm -hmm. Those integrity, I can't emphasize enough. That is really, I can lose everything as long as I keep my integrity. I'm not really good with people that complain. There's always much harder situations across the globe. Everybody has their personal problems. That's fine. But if that defines your day and your life and the life around with all your friends and so forth, that's the worst thing that can happen. Okay. What hard choices have you had to make that might have been tough at the time but were the right decision in the end? Well, I mean, uh, the divorce choice was not the easiest and that was definitely the right choice for both of us. That was definitely the right choice. There were... Maybe also one or two choices uh, of like a friendship that was separated or, you know, we stopped that. So it was hard. It was hard. I mean, it was hard to realize that, you know, you might like a person, but we're not good for each other. It's the same like the divorce, right? Mm -hmm. It's uh, divorcing your friend. It's the same same problem. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, at We've that, all been in those situations. Yeah. yeah. Where do you go to discover new ideas? Actually, uh, well... Uh, Anywhere. It's funny. I, I'm a big fan of the subway. 
And the reason being, I just like to... Depends on the time of day. Yeah, yes, <laughs> yeah I've got to so. say, yes, this right. morning's was not pleasant. Ugh. And <laughs> also it depends, yeah, on the trains running. L train, I can, yeah. We can both talk uh, talk about this in length. Yeah. Anyway, so it gives me a lot of inspiration. It also opens your eyes for humans just around you. I mean, obviously, we are a little bit on a, in a bubble here in New York City, but it is it is interesting to see how people react with each other, what they're doing, what they're doing on their phones, and just also I love to look at the advertisement on the on the top of the of the seats, and it's just incredible. It, uh, it gives me inspiration and like the whole journey through the city, the whole city here itself. I love to just walk around and get inspirations, and that you know might be a game idea, might be a, just another collaboration idea. I see a brand advertising for something and say like, oh my god, this is amazing. They should be with us, right? Or we can support this nonprofit over there. Whatever it is, I think like being amongst other humans is one of my most, yeah, inspirational experience. Good. What is the one problem worth solving? Education. Education, education, education. I think one of the biggest issues we have, and I can lead almost any problem that we have back to education. And that doesn't mean like you have to have a high school or like a, like a university degree. What I mean with that is educate people about issues, commonalities, culture. So the decisions my parents made with putting me into an elementary school that was surrounded uh, I was surrounded multicultural yeah. that just made me oblivious to differences between the cultures in terms of but in a positive way meaning I didn't see a difference between my Israeli friend and my Polish friend or my African friend they were all the same to me you know they looked a little bit different but they didn't have any difference in other backgrounds it was interesting how they grew up and it was interesting what cultural differences they have but at the same time we go often specifically also in the US and America, and the same is probably true with the UK, we come here, for example, into the US market and just because we look look alike, assume that we can apply the same rules and the same in advertisement, for example, right? The same engagement uh, rules, the same campaigns, but it's not true. It's a different culture. And to be open for that and to be open for education about that and not to just assume that your solution is the be all uh, and all, all, that you can be educated. And we need to find better ways to give that access to more, more people. Just answered two questions in one there, because the other question we usually ask is, what if you had the keys to the White House or the Bundestag, what would you do to change the fortunes of a youth uh, through education? But I think you've just done that. Yeah, I definitely would do that. I would love, love to. If you could return to one night, one day in history, where, when, and to see who? Oh, that's a good question. I missed that. You can come back to it. That is a good question. To go back and meet someone in history... Yeah, we probably have to come back to this one. Let me think about this a moment. Yeah, okay. I mean, you know, coming from Germany, probably the whole Hitler question. Mm. Yeah, okay. everything comes down to him in okay. many ways. What's one question that no one asks you that do you think I wish they would, if there is one? Because I have so many conversations, most of the questions I would say are, have been have been answered or asked. Uh, yeah, or asked don't know if they have been answered, but there's nothing on the top of my mind right now. Okay, let's move on. What's your perspective on failure? I know you've talked about managing failure. Yeah, failure is necessary. Okay. Who's made you reevaluate yourself? Who all 
my good friends and my family. I mean, I just had last weekend, I had a really in-depth conversation with my mom. And it's always great because she's a, she's a great listener or she rather not listener. I mean, that she's great at that as well, but she triggers some thoughts, right? And just she asked some questions. How are you? And how's love? And uh, are you happy? Right? These very, and you go like, of course I'm happy. You're like, oh, maybe. Yeah, why? Of course, right? No, but I can confirm I'm happy, but I, she asked me why. And that's interesting. These are very, very good questions. And I have, you know, my good friends around me, which ask similar uh, questions. And, you know, I'm open. It doesn't need to be have someone who is very close to you to ask the right questions sometimes. And it always triggers you. It's always like taking a minute and just think about things. That's good. You're developing video games. And that's very technology, technological driven. How do you keep up with technology? I try to read a lot. I try to follow things on social media. I mean, for me, one big part really is uh, LinkedIn right now. LinkedIn, there's so much brilliant stuff you can find there. Um, I listen to, you know, several podcasts, which currently are more business driven. But um, that's definitely a big part of my yeah education right now. So you know, listening to audiobooks, listening to podcasts, and so forth. What's your favorite podcast? So aside of the Impossible Network, which you know everybody should listen yeah. to, uh, I listen to the Daily. You know, this little yeah. mini podcast, of course, yeah. And uh, there are a couple of business podcasts. I love love uh, Guy Raz's How I Built This. Oh yeah, and NPR, mm-hmm. yeah. amazing. Yeah, okay. The impossible question, what would your advice be to someone who's just about to graduate or study, who's got a dream and ambition that's been told, uh, forget it, that's impossible? Yeah, never. Never listen to this. Never. Just go. Go with your dream. Go with your dream. The hardest part of this is really, well, there's pieces of your personality that you have to develop if you haven't yet. Is grit, is perseverance, and being really able to get beaten and just take it. And that's not in a physical sense, but more in a mental sense. So you have to just suffer through many setbacks to get to that point. Nobody just invented something and was like amazing, at least not to my knowledge, just like that. It's always a journey, and that journey can be very hard. And if it isn't, be suspicious, because I have so far never experienced something great coming out of a very easy journey. But go for it. Go for it. I think I'll be using that for social media, that quote. That's great. Great stuff. Uh, finish with these questions. And having not been on a karaoke night with you, what is your go-to karaoke song? <laughs> so my go-to karaoke song is more on the rock and roll side, a little more on the softer rock and roll side. So like the John Bon Jovi's, um, uh, Bed of Roses, things like that. Even like, you know, now not so much of a big fan anymore, but Three Doors Down uh, was uh, Kryptonite and um, Here Without You. There was kind of like a song back in the days when I was, you know, stationed uh, far away from home. That kind of style, that's my that's my style. What best recent Netflix or Amazon series? Wow, okay, so one of the Amazon series I watched recently, it was uh, Altered Carbon, which I love. Altered Carbon? Altered Carbon, okay. incredible. Then uh, the other one was the Tom Clancy series on Amazon. Ah. Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan with John Krasinski, amazing. Very good, okay. What book do you want us to offer? Three listeners that come up with the best comments in the comment section. There are two which are really... So, Grit by Angela Duckworth. Great one. Amazing. Uh, Never Split the Difference. Great negotiation book. And uh, so, the latest Malcolm Gladwell book, uh, Gladwell book, uh, Talking to Strangers. That really, really touched me. But I think one of the more important books to read as well, 
to for anyone who wants to build something, create something, and be a founder, Simon Sinek's The Infinite Game. That's a great, yeah, that's fantastic. Love that book. Who should we interview next? I would like to nominate <laughs> my good and dear friend Mani Safa, who is an incredible serial entrepreneur, a beautiful human being, and a very good friend. He's unfortunately right now on the West Coast. I mean, good for him, good for everybody who's around him. But, I mean, if he's back in New York, I would love him to talk to you. Well, let you connect us and we'll set up a time. Wonderful. Well, we finish off just with a thank you. And I can, I, a thank you. And first of all, I'd like to acknowledge you for your tenacity, for your imagination and stoicism and for pursuing a life of impact and being a change maker in a world that needs positive change. And also acknowledge you for your integrity, which clearly comes through from just this interview, but also from having met you a few times before the interview. So we just wish you all the best of luck as you continue with your mission of impact and uh, fully expect to see the success of One Earth Rising and all the games that are coming off it and anything we can do at the Impossible Network to help you and connect you further, uh, we're always here to help. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate the time that you spent with me here and this amazing podcast. And uh, yeah, likewise, I can't uh, thank you enough to see what you've done in the past and what you've done also with this network, this impossible mm -hmm. network. And can't wait to see this grow further in even more countries and even more brilliant people and amazing job. Thank oh. you, guys. Well, thank you. If you like the show, please subscribe and ideally give us a five-star rating and a review because it helps more people find us. Just go to iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player to listen and subscribe. This show is an Impossible Network production and is produced by Bettina McKaylee and Elaine Castillo-Keller. But for now, be curious, be creative, and seek out serendipity. See you next time.